Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin.
Very beautiful, Andrew. I was just uh, sitting there thinking, Franz Liszt, uh, the composer of, of the piece, he was a, a rather large man. And uh, he played with a lot of energy, we'll put it that way. And uh, he would destroy pianos. <laughs> and uh, because some of his pieces were, were, were quite, uh, quite energetic, okay? And uh, at the end of a concert, it, the, the piano was basically <laughs> destroyed. And uh, uh, so different piano makers, you know, would attempt to make a piano that uh, would, uh, would last. And the only one, they said, was the Busendorfer. Yeah. And uh, you, maybe you've heard of, of the Busendorfer. But uh, today, those pianos sell for about $100,000. Yeah, and they're they're fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, pianos. And he was uh, quite a fantastic pianist, uh, very close uh, friends with uh, Chopin, and uh, he's uh, he's actually the one who brought Chopin, you know, into a, into a uh, into the limelight, if you will. Um, and uh, Chopin became known, and his career took off. But uh, when Franz Liszt's father passed away. It so impacted him that he he wouldn't play, and he he really went into seclusion for several years, and then eventually, as he, he you know overcame the, the loss, he then went in his in his elderly years to a church, and he would give free piano lessons to anyone who wanted to learn to play the piano. Can you imagine having Franz Liszt? I mean, he's on the level of Beethoven and Mozart and the rest of them. Okay? <laughs> right. To have him as your piano teacher for free? <laughs> yeah. And so as I was sitting here, I was thinking, and see, and today in church, his legacy, and you'll see how that plays into what we're going to look at, but his legacy lives on, and we're still listening to his music played so beautifully by Miss Ginger here in church today. Well, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the 26th chapter in the book of Matthew as we continue our study in Matthew. And, and the title of the lesson is The Final Week because we're actually looking at the final week of the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry prior to his, his crucifixion. And so Matthew chapter 26 just looking for my, my glasses here. All right. And beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass that when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered to, up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much 
and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, as we study your holy word today, we pray that you will speak to our hearts out of your word and by your Holy Spirit, who is the teacher and illuminator of the word of truth, the word of God. And help us to apply these truths to our lives. And, O oh Lord, that we would be faithful in sharing them with others in the hope that Jesus will be glorified and that people will be saved. Again, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your compassion. We pray in thy holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, preparation for the Passover. Now, the Passover, just give a little definition there, was the memorial meal to commemorate the deliverance of the Jewish people from Egypt. You'll recall that the Hebrews were in Egypt for more than 400 years. And that during that period of time, because the Egyptians feared that the Jewish people were going to basically overtake them, they enslaved them. And the, the Bible teaches that God called a young baby <laughs> whose mother trusted in God because a decree had gone out from the Pharaoh that all the male Hebrew boys were to be killed. But knowing that it was wrong to do so, a message for the time in which we live, knowing that it was wrong to do so, she kept him <coughs> And then when she could hide him no longer, she placed him in God's hands. But of course, he was always in God's hands, wasn't he? And you know who we're speaking of, Moses. And she placed that baby in a little basket and placed it there on the river. And as God would have it, Pharaoh's daughter was there to bathe. And she sees this basket calls for it to be brought when it's open. What does Moses do? He begins to cry. And of course, it touches her heart. And she takes him as her own child. And then, God in his provision, so his, his sister Miriam comes, you know, because Pharaoh's daughter says, well, this is a little Hebrew boy. And she then asks about him, and then she says, well, I need to get, you know, someone to nurse him. And of course, Miriam says, well, I'm 
I could go and call one of the Hebrew ladies, <laughs> of course. And who does she call? <laughs> of course, her mother, because she's Moses' sister. What a wonderful, wonderful story. You see, God, God loves when his children trust in him. He is able to make a way when there seemingly is no way possible. And of course, as time goes on, we know the story. Moses ends up killing a man and burying him in the sand, and then it's made known, so he flees. Now, he was about 40 years old when he did that. And he, he winds up in the desert of Midian. And the Midianites, you know, they're still in the family. They're, they're cousins with, with the Hebrews going, going way back. And uh, while he's there, the Lord provides for him again, and he, he marries one of the daughters of, of Jethro, who happens to be the, the priest of the people of, of Midian. And so Moses is married, and he learns to now shepherd sheep. And another 40 years passes, and you know the story. He comes upon this burning bush. Ah, burning with the flame of God. Amen. And God calls him to go back to Egypt, and eventually he does. But of course, he complains, you know, like some people do today. Well, you know, I'm not much of a speaker. <laughs> and so, of course, Aaron, his brother, Moses and Aaron as a pair, they go back to Pharaoh. You know the rest of the story. Pharaoh won't listen. And so the ten plagues, and eventually it's the last plague, where Pharaoh is broken because of the plague of the death of the firstborn. But here's where the term Passover comes from. The Hebrews are instructed to take a lamb of the first year without spot and without blemish and to sacrifice that lamb and to take the blood from that lamb and to place it on the doorposts and on the lintel, the cross member at the top, on the outside of their door. And in that evening, as the Lord passes through, wherever the blood was, he would pass over. And those within that home were saved. But wherever there was no blood, the firstborn in that family, and even the firstborn of the animals, all died. And the Bible says, and you can read that over in Exodus chapter 12, that there was a weeping and a wailing throughout the entire land of Egypt, such as never it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to defy God. Make no mistake about it. To defy God and to continue doing so is to run the risk of severe judgment. And so the Jewish people were then begged by the Egyptians to leave, to go. And the Bible says 
Not only did they go, but they also gave them their jewels and their gold and their silver, and they said, take it off and go. And so, year after year, a lasting memorial, they were to celebrate the Passover, and they still do so to this day. Now, in this passage before us, Jesus tells the disciples that within two days they will be celebrating the Passover. And he also goes on and he says, in verse 2, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He foretells his death once again. And they, didn't, they still didn't quite get it. But he was preparing them for what was coming. For you see, Jesus is, the Bible teaches, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The Passover in Egypt and commemorated to this day is a foreshadow of the sacrifice of God's Lamb, Jesus, without spot, without blemish, without sin. He is our Passover Lamb. Now the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they all created a plot to kill Jesus. And this, this had been going on for some time. But now they were finally to the point where they said, you know what? It's time. It's time. But they didn't want to do it during the week. See, the, the, the Passover feast would really go on for an entire week, that whole celebration. And, and thousands and thousands of people would come to Jerusalem for that. So they said, you know what? The people view him as a prophet, and so if we, if we do something out in the open, there might be a riot. Well, there was this thing called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. Wherever, wherever the Romans conquered, they maintained order. And they would allow the, the Jewish rulers to, to lead in their, in their positions of leadership as long as they maintained peace. But if there was disorder, they would come in and, oh my goodness, they would take charge and then they would appoint other people. So the high priest Caiaphas at the time, he, he ruled from uh, uh, B.C. 18 to 36 A.D. as a high priest. Normally, it was only for one year, but the Romans liked him. So he, he remained in power for, for quite some time. He didn't want to lose his position, so he said, we won't do it because there might be a riot. That would, that would not be, be a good thing. So now, Matthew in his writing, he, he moves on and he, he remembers something that had occurred earlier. Notice he says, and when Jesus was in Bethany. Now how do we know that this, this happened before? I want to have you turn to John in chapter 12. John in chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Notice that? Where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, 
There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of sparknard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, now notice this, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. They were in the house of Simon the leper. You follow? Who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? See, he led the charge there in saying, well, this was a waste. And then the other disciples went along with him. You follow? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put into it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. You notice that? So let's turn back to Matthew. So he, he fills in, John fills in some information that Matthew didn't provide. And he gives us this, this clearer picture. Who was the woman? The woman was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, it's estimated that this, this ointment or this oil, this fragrant oil that she, that she poured upon the whole body of Jesus and even wiped his feet with her, with her hair was valued at one year's wages. Now, that's a lot of money, even in ancient times. And yet, she gives it to the Lord Jesus. And uh, what is uh, Judas's response and the response of the disciples? It's a waste. What a waste. But do you know that there are people like that today? They say, what? What do you mean to tell me you, you, you give offerings at, at the church? Why are you wasting your money? Why, why are you throwing your money away? And um, there are people who actually think, and, and the reason is because a lot of these guys on TV and, and things that have happened over the years with you know, traveling uh, you know, preachers and charlatans, they think that when you take up that offering that you guys count it all up and then you give it to me. <laughs> well, that's not so. Now, of course, the church does pay. And by the way, on behalf of Miss Ginger, Mike, and myself, we thank you because the, the, the church adopted a new a budget for the new church year, and we, we all received raises, and we, we appreciate that. We thank you for your generosity and graciousness. But it's not a waste to give offerings to the Lord. And you, sometimes you'll hear people, they can be, uh, they may be church members or they may be outside of the church and they'll say, you know, you spend so much money on those fancy buildings and in all those fancy uh, pieces of equipment and, you know, and those instruments and all of that, what a waste, that money could be given to the poor. You've probably heard some people talk about but why spend so much money on such fancy carpet? 
in the church. And my goodness, tile and wood floors can cost twice as much as, as carpet. But why spend so much money on, on building these large buildings and providing all of this fancy equipment? What a waste of money. It could have been given to the poor. That's what they were saying. But Jesus didn't agree, did he? He didn't agree. Now there are those who would say, yes, but just a, just a few chapters earlier, he was saying that we're supposed to, to take care of the poor. Yeah. In other words, we're supposed to do it all. You follow? As opportunity comes, we're to be willing to share with the poor and the needy or with those who have gone through a tragedy like, like what has happened in the islands. While at the same time, we're to be willing to give to God's work. Now notice, what does Jesus say? He says, leave her alone. Who are you to cast judgment upon her? And who are you to tell her what to do with her money? Or with that which God has blessed her with? Who are you to tell her what to do? It's none of your business. You notice that? Kind of like what he told Peter when he wanted to know about John's life. And the Lord said, you worry about your own life. It was a lasting memorial. He said, wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, notice that? The anticipation is that the gospel is going to be preached in all the world. He said, wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, what this woman has done this night will also be shared. And look at today. A fulfillment of what the Lord Jesus said. Here today, we're looking at this passage. And all through the centuries, and around the world, wherever this gospel has been preached, what this woman did, Mary, has also been preached. A lasting memorial. A legacy. A legacy. We mentioned the legacy of Franz Liszt. Or Franz, I should pronounce it correctly. Franz Liszt. Well, moving on. Oh, what a difference. What a difference between the heart attitude of Mary and Judas Iscariot. You see, Jesus called him on the carpet when he began to complain and called this a waste. You follow? Jesus scolded them. But he was the ringleader. He was the first voice, one of the twelve. And that, uh, that name there, Iscariot, and it comes from the Latin, which actually refers to the criminals. And uh, in Mexico, South America, sicarios, right? Okay. They're not, they're not the... Um, they're not the cream of the crop, so to speak. 
But notice it says, one of the twelve. The church does not hide behind the fact that one of Jesus' own disciples, one of his own apostles, is the one who betrays him. Now he goes to the chief priests and notice, they're, they're plotting. You see how this all works out? They're plotting to kill Jesus. And who comes along? One of the twelve. He asks the question, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Now the word in, in Greek that's translated deliver is actually the same word that is translated betray. It's very interesting. Look, looked it up last night. All the various synonyms. It means to, to surrender one, to turn one in, to betray, to imprison, to deliver. That is to deliver up for imprisonment. All of those, those words. He says, what are you willing to give me if I, if I turn him over to you? And notice the response is 30 pieces of silver. Interesting. So interesting because over in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 32, 30 pieces of silver was the value of a servant. And for those people who believe that the Bible does not teach the equality in terms of value of uh, a female and a male, what you'll read in that passage is this. If a person has an ox and that ox gores a servant, whether the servant is a male or a female, the owner of the ox will give 30 pieces of silver for the servant's life whether male or female. You see the equality there? <coughs> equality of value. But you see, they, they didn't view Jesus any more important than a servant. 30 pieces of silver, that's it. Oh, but he was a servant. He was the most loving responsible, humble, kind, hard-working, and giving servant of all history. The example for every person to follow. Willing to serve the will of his father, the desire of his father, and to please his father that he would give his life and did so upon the cross and even before the cross, allowing himself to be beaten and to be whipped and humiliated. Yes, a model servant. And look at the tragic and shameful legacy of Judas, one of the twelve. Look at the legacy that he leaves. Now what does he do with the 30 pieces of silver? What does he do the Bible tells us here in the same book, Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. He goes back to the temple. He goes back to the, to the priests. And he says, I, I've sinned because I've betrayed innocent blood. And he, he wants to give the money back, but they don't want it. So he throws it into the temple. And then he goes out and he hangs himself. 
What a legacy. What a shameful and tragic legacy. Someone who walked with Jesus. Someone who actually saw when Jesus healed people and raised them from the dead, calmed the sea and the wind the storm. Listen to his teaching. Now we don't know exactly why. Well, the devil filled his heart is what happened. And the Lord said it was better for that man that he had never been born. Thirty pieces of silver. But what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving for the people who know you? What kind of legacy are you leaving for your children, close friends, and, and others who, who know you or who are within your circle of influence? What kind of legacy are you leaving? What do we learn from these passages? Three very important little venues, if you will. Well, first of all, our Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament were all foreshadows of the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the lamb. You see, Egypt in the Bible represents the world. The world. The world that is at odds with God. The attitude that rejects God and rejects God's word, rejects his truth, and rejects him. The Hebrew people are the people of God, and they represent God's people throughout the ages. And as God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, out of slavery, he desires to deliver every human being out of the slavery, out of the land of Egypt, if you will, the slavery of sin. And from the destructive power of sin in a person's life. And yet we as God's people bear responsibility for what we do with that gift that he's given to us. And we studied in Sunday school this morning. The people come to Jeremiah and they say, go to the Lord for us and ask what we should do. Should we remain home or should we flee to Egypt? And whatever the Lord tells, that's what we'll do. Now, it, it takes 10 days. It's very important, see? Because so many people think that God needs to answer them like that. You need to learn that you cannot rush God. You can't back God into a corner, and you can't rush him. If God wants to take 10 days or 10 years to answer your prayer, that's his prerogative, because he is God. But we're so impatient. That McDonald's drive through mentality. Man, it's been a minute. What's taking them so long? What do you mean i got to pull around to the front? All right? You know all about that, don't you? 
What are they doing in there? Well, you see, when we pray, we must also be patient. And we must be patient, and we must be sensitive and willing to hear however God may speak to us. Now, he speaks to us primarily through his holy word. Always go to the word. But, you might be driving down the road, you know, you prayed, and you're driving down the road, and a particular song comes on. Oh, my goodness. A particular song comes on the radio, and there's something in that song that actually speaks to your heart and is dealing with the very subject that you prayed about that day. Or you may be driving down the road and you see something, and right there, through nature, God reveals his truth to you. You say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, then you need to read Psalm 19. Because Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, they utter speech. You see? And then it goes on and it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Or in other words, look all about you in the creation that God has provided because it speaks of his glory and it will speak to you if you will but listen. Just as his word speaks. God's people need to be sensitive to that because God speaks to his children if they're but willing to listen. Now, these people said, Jeremiah, you go. And whatever the Lord says, that's what we'll do. And the Lord told them, he said, stay home. I will plant you, provide for you, protect you, and deal with you compassionately. And even the king of Babylon will be compassionate with you. But know this, if you go back down there to Egypt, not one of you is going to survive. I'm giving you a real short summary of that. Okay. So what did they do? They said, well, we'll go to Egypt. And that's what believers do today. God will speak to their heart. He'll, he'll give them the answer. And they'll say, ah, that's not really the answer I was looking for. That's not really what I, I, I you know, I, I just, I, I don't prefer to do that. Don't be one of those. Listen to the Lord. Always go to his word. His word has the answer for all of life and every single situation and issue and problem. Everything finds its answer in the Lord and through his word. So, the Lord Jesus is our Passover lamb. The crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ was foretold. And if you read Isaiah 53, you'll see that 800 years prior to the crucifixion, he was prophesying about how the Savior, the servant of the Lord, would give his life a ransom for us. And then offerings given from a heart of love and gratitude are pleasing to God. He considers them a beautiful thing. When we 
take up these different offerings for the missionary offerings and Samaritan's Purse and all of these, these different things, or the shoe boxes, we always ask you to pray. Pray about what the Lord would have you to give. And when the Lord lays that upon your heart, then give according to what the Lord lays upon your heart. And when you do that, you'll be amazed at how God will multiply that gift and use it to his honor and glory and to touch the lives of people. And he'll also ensure that you have what you need. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you as well. And then do not criticize what someone else gives to God. It's not your business. Whatever you do, don't put yourself in the camp with Judas and the disciples who were following him, criticizing. Don't do that. You give as the Lord leads you to give. And as others give, pray. Pray that they're giving as the Lord wants them to give and give thanks to God. And then lastly, we choose the legacy that we leave behind. Somebody's hearing aid is... Okay. <laughs> All right. We choose the legacy that we leave behind. And so, what legacy will you leave? What legacy will you leave for your children, for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, your friends? It's a personal choice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll sing a hymn of invitation. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for your beautiful word, your beautiful son, your beautiful love, your beautiful nature, your nature of compassion and mercy and, and goodness and kindness and graciousness and generosity. We thank you, Lord, for, for the way that you care for each one of us and not just for us, but for every person who has ever lived or who will ever live. We pray now for anyone here who needs to make the decision to follow you that they will have the courage to do so and to step out. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing softly and tenderly. Jesus is Christ. pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.